Father, we are so privileged to have the teaching of Jesus Christ written down for us in the Gospels. And we thank you that he taught about many different things. And we thank you that he taught on this. We pray that as we listen to Jesus' words, as we read them, as we think about them, that you would speak to us and teach us what we need to know this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Thursday night, uh, I was in Tesco's. I was one of those people, you know like Tesco's closes at 11? I was one of the people in at about 20 to 11. Just grabbing a couple of things. And um, so it's 20 to 11. I'm pretty tired. I'm going down one of the aisles and I bump into the store manager, Simon. Uh, I've got to know Simon through Free Food Friday and I've built a good relationship with him. And so we, we got chatting and um, Ukraine came up. And we talked about how awful it was, and then he said, what's the church doing? How are they responding? And I explained all of that. And then he said this to me. He says, Marty, can I ask you something? And I'm really serious. I said, yeah. He says, do you think that the end of the world is going to come from this? I don't know if Simon is a Christian. I never said that. He's very open, but he's never said he's a Christian. He hasn't said he attends church. But he was deadly serious. Marty, do you as a Christian think that the end of the world is coming through this? And we chatted a bit more and he was sort of explaining to me, he says, you know, he says, Marty, do you know how long it takes for a nuclear bomb to arrive in London from Russia? Only 20 minutes. Clearly been reading about this stuff. And then he told me about the, 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 the fact that we are in a position in this world where it has never been easier to wipe out humanity with the amount of nuclear bombs that there are. As I chatted to Simon, I could just sense there was a genuine worry and genuine concern and genuine fear that what's happening in Ukraine could escalate and could potentially lead to the end of the world. Fear and anxiety about the end are in the air at the minute. And I'm not talking about within the church, I'm talking without it. My little niece, she's in P4. We were down in Bangor on Saturday, we were having some lunch together, uh, and she was in a different room, and we were just chatting, and Emma brought up Ukraine, uh, and her sister said, can we not talk about that? Can we just not talk about it? She didn't want to think about it this fear and anxiety that's brewing. There's also then the other side of the coin. I watched a film on Netflix recently called Don't Look Up. And it's about some, it's, a, it's, it's meant to be a comedy, it's not overly funny, it is about the end of the world. Uh, but but it's, it's really, a, it was a very interesting insight into our culture and in our society. So scientists, basically the plot of the film, scientists studying space see that there's an asteroid coming towards Earth and it's going to 100% hit it. And when the asteroid hits it, the Earth is going to be obliterated and everyone on it. So these scientists discover it and they go to the news agencies and they go to the people and everyone's just kind of like, all right, it's indifference. It's not really believed. It's not really important. There's just indifference. And I think that's the way it is at the minute too, isn't it? Some people are so fearful and anxious that this war is gonna escalate and the world is gonna end. And then there are people, and that isn't even on the radar, 
Not a big deal, not really important. What's all the fuss about? Well, tonight we're going to, to look at what Jesus says about the end of the world. We're going to look tonight at some of the things that Jesus says about signs that the end is coming. And just in case you fall asleep, or just in case this is really complicated, just in case I do a terrible job tonight, I'm going to try to summarize what you need to remember in one sentence. Here we go. In this time of uncertainty, we do not need to panic, but we do need to be ready. Okay, that's it. In this time of uncertainty, we do not need to panic, but we do need to be ready. Got it? Let's all just go home. That'll save me a lot of work. <laughs> no, let's not go home. Let, let's instead have a look at the passage. So Jesus in, in Matthew 23, as I told you earlier, he, he'd been revealing himself to the Jewish people and they'd rejected him. And at the end of 23, he's in Jerusalem and he's walking away and, and he says at the end of chapter 23, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, look at verse 37, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you, how often have I longed to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing and then look at verse 38, he says, look, your house is left to you desolate. And what Jesus is doing there, he's in Jerusalem and he's looking at the temple and he's saying there, Jerusalem, your temple, the thing that you have worshipped instead of me, the thing that you have made your focus instead of me, that temple is going to be desolate. It's going to be destroyed. So he, he leaves Jerusalem. And then what we see is that the disciples, they, they have a question for him. If you have a look at the start of verse, uh, at chapter 24. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? So that's one question. So they ask one question, when's the temple going to be destroyed, Jesus? But then they bang on another question. And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? So at the start of chapter 24, the disciples speaking to him privately, ask him two questions. Jesus, number one, when's this temple going to be destroyed? And question number two, when is the end going to be and when are you going to return? Okay, so it's two questions, which is why we're ignoring an awful lot of the text tonight. Because the text that we missed, it deals with that first question, when are you going to destroy the temple? When is Jerusalem going to be destroyed? And Jesus, in those bits that we missed, I think is explaining what's going to happen and the signs that are going to lead up to the destruction of Jerusalem. And that came in AD 70, okay? So the bits we missed, you might argue with me, you might think I'm wrong, but hey, what can you do? That's what I think, so we're ignoring them tonight, okay? And what we're going to do instead is we're going to focus on what Jesus says are, are, are the signs that, that he's coming, or the signs of his return. So the first thing we see in verse four is that Jesus says that before he comes, there will be many people who claim to be the Christ. Look at verse four. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. So people will come, Jesus says, and they will claim to be the Christ. And if you know history, you know that that has happened 
from the moment Jesus ascended to heaven up until the present day. It has happened throughout the whole time from his ascension. Recently in the 18th century, Anne Lee, one of the religious groups called the Shakers, she proclaimed to be Jesus in the female form. Uh, even more recently, in the 20th century, the Korean uh, founder of the Moonies, Sung Myung Moon, claimed that he was the second coming of Christ. And if you go to America, there are people who claim to be the second person, of the, the return of Christ. If you go to Brazil, there are people who claim to be Christ today. If you speak to a Jehovah Witness, they will tell you that Christ has already returned and is somewhere secretly in a basement somewhere or other, giving them their instructions. Jesus says that before he comes, many people will come and claim to be him. Then we see the next sign, the next thing that will happen, something else that will be prevalent before he comes. Have a look at verse six. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Look at verse seven. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be wars before I come, Jesus says. And again, that's something that has marked time ever since he ascended into heaven. The Romans got into wars. There were rumors of wars. The, the Roman Empire crumbled. And since then, many other empires have come and gone. The world has been filled with war. There was the First World War. There was the Second World War. And here we are tonight, fearing of a Third World War. There'll be wars and rumors of wars and kingdoms will rise against kingdoms. But listen to what Jesus says. Have a look at the end of verse six. And I want you to listen to this tonight in light of Ukraine and in light of the fear of an escalation of war and a fear that this could be the end. Look what he says. See to it that you are not alarmed. Do you see it there? See to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. So what Jesus is telling us there is that we can grieve and we can weep and we can be disgusted and we can pray in light of wars, especially this Ukrainian war. But we're not to panic. We're not to panic. The end is not gonna come through a war. The end of the world is not going to come through nations rising against nations. There may be many people killed. There may be nations which are decimated. But the end is not going to come through war. So tonight, as we look at Ukraine, we don't need to panic. We don't need to panic that the end of the world is coming right now. But then he goes on and he says, again, the next thing, he says that there'll be natural disasters. Look at verse seven. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And again, that has happened ever since his ascension up until the present day. There are famines in our world today. There are earthquakes happening. There are volcanoes erupting. What are all these things then? What are all these things? Have a look at verse eight because we get an answer there. All these are the beginning of birth pains. This is like labor, Jesus says. 
these things that I've just described, the wars and the false Christs and the natural disasters, it's like a woman in labor. We've had three children. I can tell you from watching my wife, labor doesn't seem much fun. (laughs) It's long and it's a bit frightening and there's pain in it. But labor is not the main event. Labor is the build up to it. And so all of these things, Jesus says, they they happen in the build-up to his return. And labor as well, it gets kind of more painful the closer you get to the baby. It gets more intense. There's more intense contractions. And I think maybe it's this idea that these things will become more intense, more intense as we await the arrival of Jesus. But we're not to panic tonight. Not yet. The world is in labor. But then it goes on, and and it's interesting because labor actually has three stages. And it's interesting because in verse 9, he's described this and he says, this is like the beginning of labor. Okay? But then in verse 9, he says, then. So it's almost like the next stage. So what else is going to happen? Well, verse 9. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Persecution will rise. Persecution of Christians will become more intense. A hatred of God's people will become a deeper hatred and a more widespread hatred. Today, we're at a point in history where there are more people killed for their faith every year than there ever have been before. Every year in February, the Open Doors released the World Watch List. And I think this year there were 6,000 cases which were recorded of people being killed across the world specifically for their faith. Persecution will intensify. And then what else do we see is a sign What else is a sign of the labor? Well, a turning away from the faith. Have a look at verse 10. At that time, many will turn away from the faith. Many will turn away from Christ. Many will turn away from trusting him and following him and walking with him. I only know my own generation. I don't really know different generations, but I can tell you in my generation, I'm 37 now, and in my generation, the people of my age are turning away from Christ in their droves. They're deconstructing, they're, they're taking their faith apart, and they're walking away from it. Or else they're just being lured away by other things that they want instead of Jesus. I don't know what your generation is like, but my generation, there is this turning away from the faith. And then we see that within the church, there's going to be fighting and problems, that the church is going to turn inward upon itself. Look at the next verse, verse 10 again. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Within the Christian community, within the church, with a big C, There's going to be betrayal and hatred among one another. 
Then verse 11, what else? And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. A prophet is someone who speaks on God's behalf. They're found in the Bible and God gives them a message and they deliver the message to the people. Well, false prophets, they claim to be giving people a message from God. But it's not from him. It's just a false message. It's just something that they've made up. Something that is untrue. Often something that advances their own ends. And again, we we see false prophets today, don't we? Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, claimed to be a prophet. And he teaches a doctrine which is so different from the, the Jesus of the Bible, so different from the doctrine we find in the scriptures. And many people have been turned away. Muhammad claimed to be a prophet. And again, today in this world, I think Islam is the second biggest religion in the world. And then you have other people who claim to be prophets, gurus, people who know the the secrets of the gods and they tell people this and many follow after them. Then what else is a sign? What else is a labor pain? Well, increased wickedness. Moral decay. Have a look at verse 12. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Before Christ comes, the world is going to get more and more wicked. It's going to become less and less godly. It's going to reject and, and, and rebel against God in ways that haven't been done before. It's going to be like a downward spiral getting worse and worse and worse. Paul, when he writes to Timothy, he he says it this way, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. (laughs) Describes today, doesn't it? This is the world that we live in. But there's one thing, one amazing thing, one incredible thing. All of these things have been a little bit depressing. But there's one incredible thing that's going to happen before Christ comes. And he will not come until this has happened. And you find it in verse 14. It's that the gospel will advance to all nations. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I read about these, these signs of labor, these, these labor pains, um, it makes me feel like Christ could be coming tomorrow. <laughs> but the reality is that whatever stage in history after he ascended into heaven, if you read them at any stage in history, you could have that feeling 
that Christ is coming tomorrow. And I think that's the way it's meant to be. We're not meant to panic about him coming. We're not meant to panic about the end. But we are meant to be ready, like it could happen tomorrow, or in fact, tonight, or in five minutes. We're not to panic, but we are to be ready. Jesus then goes on and he, he describes exactly you know, what's going to happen. He describes how you're going to know. There's going to be no secret coming. It's not going to be in a, a dark room somewhere he's going to turn up. He's going to come in such a way that everyone knows about it. Everyone is going to know that he has come back. Look at verse 27. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. And then verse 29, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. He's referring to Isaiah there who said the same thing. Isaiah said, all the stars in the sky will be dissolved and the heavens rolled up like a scroll. All the starry host will fall like withered leaves from the vine, like shriveled figs from the fig tree. Now, Jesus is easy being really literal here. And he's saying, listen, whenever I come back, the moon and the sun will be darkened. Do you remember what happened when he died on the cross? Do you remember what happened from 12 to 3? There was darkness when he died. Well, I think there may be literal darkness when he returns. And there may be a literal falling of the stars. Whatever it is, whether it's literal or whether it's symbolic, there is going to be some sort of catechismic sign. Something that's going to shake the whole earth something that no one can miss. He will come and we will know. And what's gonna happen when he comes? Look at verse 30. This is sad. At the time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. So there'll be a sign in the sky. And then look what it says. All the nations of the earth will mourn. Why are they going to mourn? Why will there be mourning on earth when Jesus returns? The answer is very simple. They will have all heard the gospel. They will have all heard about Christ. They will have all heard about his salvation. They will all have heard about his coming. They will all have heard about his judgment. And so many of them will have rejected it. They'll have written it off. And when they see him, they will mourn because the judge will have come to judge. And then what's going to happen, verse 31 He'll send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So he's going to gather his people together. But you see, when he comes, it's just going to be like a normal day. 
It's just going to be a normal day. There'll be nothing special about the morning time. There'll be no kind of advance warning. He'll just come. Verse 37, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. He'll just come. He'll just arrive. It will just be a normal day. And he will be here. We're not to panic. We're not to be afraid. We're not to worry. We're not to be alarmists. You know, we don't need to start running around like headless chickens. The end is nigh. We don't need to do that. We don't need to panic. But we do. We, we need to be ready. That's what Jesus says, isn't it? Look at verse 44. So you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. We're not to be alarmed. Right now, as we watch what's happening in Ukraine, we're to mourn, we're to weep, we're to pray, but we're not to be alarmed. These are things that are meant to happen. These are birth pains. These are things that are to remind us that one day there will be a greater person coming, a more earth-shaking event. We're not to panic, but we are to be ready. How do we do that? How do we be ready? I want to suggest just a few things. The first thing to be ready is we need to trust in Jesus Christ as the forgiver of our sins if we've not. It's really interesting. Um, there's a very debated verse, uh, and it's the verse about the people being taken away. Have a look at verse 40. Two men in a field. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken and the other left. Verse 41. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill and one will be taken and the other left. And the way I've heard that verse explained before is this idea that, you know, God is going to kind of take his people up and rapture them. You know? And to be left behind is a bad thing. But that's not the illustration that Jesus gives. If you have a look before, he talks about Noah and the ark. And look at verse 39. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. In the days of Noah, those who didn't believe the word of the Lord were swept away in judgment by the waves. And on the day Christ returns, those who have not trusted in him as the forgiver of their sins will be swept away in the judgment of his wrath. And so to be ready, we need to trust him as the forgiver of our sins. That's the first thing we need to do to be ready. A second thing we need to do is we need to pray for steadfastness. We need to pray that we don't fall away. We need to pray that we don't drift away. We need to pray that we stay firm in our faith. It's heartbreaking, that description, isn't it? 
Many will fall away. One of the signs of the end times. Let's pray that it's not us. And if you're struggling in your faith, if you're struggling just now, if you have questions, if you're deconstructing, if you're having doubts, talk to somebody and and have a chat about it. Deconstructing and having doubts does not need to lead to departing the faith. It can actually lead to having a stronger one if you can ask the right questions and find the right answers and talk with someone who can help you put it all together. We need to stand firm and pray that we will stand firm. We need to share the gospel. We have been banging on about evangelism recently, probably far too much, I'm really sorry. It's like every sermon at the minute is somehow connected with evangelism, whether it's doing acts in the morning or even tonight, the gospel will be preached to the end of the earth. Uh, And I, I kind of feel bad, but it's there in the passages. We need to share the gospel. Do you know if Christ came tomorrow, I don't know about you, but there'd be people in my life who I would just feel so bad that I didn't actually share Jesus with them. Jesus came tomorrow, there are people who I love and who I know, who I'm friends with, and and they would be swept up in judgment. And yet I'm reluctant to share Christ with them. It's worth thinking about, isn't it? Challenging, but worth thinking about. And the last thing that we're to do is that we're to have hope. This all sounds very depressing in some ways. But when Christ comes, for those of us who have him as our savior, he's not coming to judge us and he's not coming to pour out his anger and wrath upon us. He's coming to save us. He's coming to gather us for the new earth where there'll be no more war and no more earthquakes and no more famine and no more death and no more pain. Christ's coming will be tragic and many will mourn on that day. But it will be a cause for us to rejoice. This is a a strange time in our world. Uh, (laughs) Maybe I'm just too young, but it, it just, to me, it feels like the craziest time ever. You know, we had the Brexit news line for two years. Then we've had coronavirus headline for two years. Now we've got Ukraine headline. Now we've got rumors of something else catastrophic, another big war. The price and cost of living is through the roof. Feels like morality is out the window. The world just feels like a crazy place just now. And maybe you feel that too. But what are you to do? Don't panic. Don't freak out. Don't get worked up. Don't be alarmed. But be ready. Be ready for his coming. Let's pray together. Father, I would just pray that anything that 
I got wrong there or that wasn't helpful would be uh, removed from our minds. But that anything that is from you and is something that you want to say to us very clearly would be oppressed upon our hearts and our minds. Father, thank you for the words of Jesus. And even though they are difficult to understand, we thank you for the, the very plain message that he gives us. Not to panic, but to be ready. Help us each to work out what that looks like in our lives. And help us to take that message to heart tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.